Hi, this is Denna Hornby, and you're listening to The Calling, where we explore the lives of people who have been called to various types of ministries in their churches and in their communities. Today, we're here with Laurie Ralston, who is a pastor at Normandy United Methodist Church. Introducing you to local church and community leaders, The Calling. Thank you, Laurie, for being here today. Thanks for having me. So I'm interested to know what it was like growing up as uh, Lori Midget, and Ralston is your married name, and for those of you who are listening, it's it's very interesting because although she is a part of the Midget family, these are folks who are quite, quite tall. So tell us a little bit about your family. Uh, I am the fifth, the last of five children, the youngest, uh, the one they... The one they waited for, the one they really wanted is what I say. And uh, I have four older brothers. So I grew up uh, on a small farm in East Wilson County. And um, so we uh, we had a small farm and my dad was a contractor. My mom was a stay-at-home parent. So so you were the baby, the only girl. I am, and I claim four. it regularly. <laughs> I claim all the rights and privileges thereof. Yes. So how much older are your brothers? My oldest brother actually is 21 years older than oh, wow. I am. Okay. And so all the rest of them are spread out in between. So the oldest three were mostly out of the house by the time I remember mm-hmm. being coming up. And then my one brother, uh, he and I grew up together. We're only four years apart. So That's my nieces and nephews are actually closer in age uh, to my age than than some of my siblings. So. Do you have any favorite memories of growing up on the farm? Um, you know, uh, growing up on a farm is beautiful for a child and uh, it instills a lot of things that as a child you don't really appreciate, which is certainly my case, uh, uh, mowing, the, mowing the yard and uh, by a push mower. We did not have a riding lawnmower. Such things were not allowed. And, uh, oh, okay. And uh, we had large gardens. That's what did you grow? Uh, strawberries, squash, cucumbers, lima beans. It's eastern Wilson County, so you can grow really good lima beans. We okay. call them baby beans, but lima beans. Green beans, tomatoes, corn, potatoes. That's Mostly rocks and rocks and clods, however, too. From yeah. <laughs> Lots of that in that in that part of the country. Did you work the farm with your brother? We did, we did, yeah. Robin and I, because we're the ones we were the ones left after the other ones were gone. So mm-hmm. we did, and we had uh, beef cattle as well. So, oh wow! Okay. Uh, well, you were busy on the farm then. You actually worked the farm. We had to, yeah. It's hard That's work. It, it does instill hard work in you, and good work ethic makes you understand. Uh, part of God's creation plan, how he provides for you, um, and uh, it, where where food comes from is very important, I think, for children to understand that milk doesn't come from Kroger. Right. Um, yeah. Do you have any memories of, like, breaking beans or anything like that? That's the nostalgic memory we, that most people yeah. share, yeah. Uh, we, my mom canned and froze uh, vegetables. So when, you didn't have to shop for much, really. We didn't much. We did some, uh, but uh, she she uh, was well versed 
in uh, canning and freezing procedures. So something that I did not pick up as much as she, but uh, we did all of that. Yeah. Do you do that now still? I uh, strawberries and peaches I still put in the freezer, and I do them the way she taught me. Okay. But uh, I. Uh, when I left the farm, I was kind of glad to be gone from the farm. So, <laughs> so you could take a break, right? <laughs> I always said it was good motivation to go to college. Yes. And where did you go to college? Uh, I am a Blue Raider, proud of MTSU graduate. Excellent. So I didn't get too far from home. It was only about 35 miles from where I grew up, but uh, it was a whole different world from where I grew up at the I same time. So. What yeah. did you study in college? I have a bachelor's degree in business. Very nice. And so you've come from uh, the farm to a bachelor's degree in business to working in ministry I as did. a pastor. You've come, what some might say, is full circle. Uh, it's been a long journey, <laughs> well, an unexpected one, but a but a wonderful one. We look forward about uh, to hearing more about that journey. We're going to take a short break, but after that, more conversation with Laurie Ralston. I'm Dana Hornby, and you're listening to The Calling. Our guest today is Lori Ralston. She's a pastor at Norman D. United Methodist Church. And, Lori, you were telling us about a bachelor's degree that you got in business from MTSU, Go Blue Raiders. And uh, how did you find college? What were your college years like? Uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah? I, I loved college. Were you studious? Uh, probably once or twice a, a year semester, maybe. <laughs> College is a, a an education of all different sorts. Yes. So I enjoyed it all. I enjoyed it all. Very so and one of the best things I did in college was uh, I joined a business fraternity. Oh. And uh, after I did the joined the fraternity, that's pretty much what I did. Although I did maintain grades enough to stay in school, but that's really where I learned the most is uh, in the administration of that of that chapter so oh wow what's the name of your business fraternity it's alpha kappa psi aka psi we call it and uh there's a chapter here at tennessee tech shout out alpha kappa psi we used to we used to run the roads to cookville fairly often (laughs) so you graduated from college what happened next what field did you work in uh i was uh i had pretty supported myself most of the way through college so i was very poor when yeah. I graduated, uh, so I didn't uh, have the resources to wait around very long. So I took a little get-by job for a while, and then uh, I was using a headhunter to try to find a job. The economy was not that fabulous at that time. And uh, I had worked, actually, in a theme park while I was going through school, and that's how I paid for myself to go through school, and that was in food service so i actually got a job as a restaurant manager through this headhunter oh wow and i did that for five years where i learned a tremendous amount of people skills and um, human resource mm-hmm. knowledge experience um, a lot of pr skills uh, just a wonderful but tiring experience in itself. Restaurant work is hard. It's not for the faint of heart. <laughs> so which is harder, farming or restaurant work? Uh, restaurant work is definitely, I think. They were equally different. I mean, they, they each are difficult, but restaurant work is definitely difficult because of the hours. 
yeah. switching back and forth. So I was you would never be on the same shift. You would be switching shifts all the time. So you weren't ever on a regular sleep schedule. That's hard. Yeah. And people are picky about their food. I know I am. Me so too. yeah. 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 Okay, so after that you ended up as a loan officer. How did that how did that happen? After I got married toward the at the end of my restaurant career and uh about six months into that I knew when we got married that uh I was about done with the restaurant business. I didn't wanna have that style that lifestyle and be married uh, because of the demands of the job. And so um I left that business and uh, took a few months off and got settled in being a newlywed and we were in a different town by then and I found a job in consumer finance in a management training program. Oh wow. And so I stayed in that for about six years and that's where most loan officers get their beginnings is in the consumer finance field. A lot of them do. Um so uh, it used some of the same skills that I had learned in the restaurant business as far as people skills, communication. Um, it was the entry-level sales job kind of mm. experience. So There are a lot of people who um, can use financial advice in terms of how to buy houses and how to get loans. And what's the what's the experience you've had with people coming in to get loans? Were they prepared or were they overwhelmed with the whole process? The process can be overwhelming. Um, so as the person who's trying to administrate that, uh, it's important to be, you know, a calming presence. It's important to um, be able to uh, make sound judgments about people's willingness to pay, um, those type of things. Yeah, it's developing a relationship, I can imagine. Everything everything is a relationship, and particularly in lending, because people have to trust you. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I collected some of those loans. So, you know, when you have to call people and say, Where's your money? Yeah, normally I would just say, When are you coming to see me? Mm -hmm. And made it more about the relationship than about the money. Very good. So that was it's fairly effective. So how does someone who is a loan officer making loans end up in a pulpit of a church? God. God does those funny things. Was it a sudden <laughs> revelation for you or was it a, a coming of call? It it was it was an evolution I think, but it was very sudden. And uh I had left uh progressed from consumer finance into just mortgage originating, secondary market mortgaging. And um, I had worked for several different good people, good companies. And, uh, you know, I love that job. I love that career. Uh, It has a lot of flexibility. That's why a lot of women do it, because it has flexibility. You're basically your own boss, even though you're working for for a company. Um, It was fun. You know, I was out in the community building relationships. I was really fortunate to build a, a fairly good network of referrals because it's a commission-based income, so everything is based on referrals. Uh, and I was really fortunate in the community in which we live to be able to do that. So um, it it really actually is excellent training for being in the ministry. Okay. Because when you talk to people about their money, you get to their heart fairly quickly. 
You see where they lay up their treasures? Yeah, you do. And I, <laughs> I always tell people, I, I, I listened to a lot of confessions long before I ever got in a pulpit. <laughs> I can imagine so. <laughs> I've heard a lot of confessions <laughs> long before I ever had a robe to wear. So what was your defining moment? When did you say yes to the pulpit? Um, I went through a fairly rough uh, experience in life. Mm-hmm. Um my mother passed away fairly suddenly, and uh, I was in a horrible season of grief for an extended period of time. And uh, I call that the pit. The pit. Which you... Uh, we all have our pits. We, you, you, if you read the Psalms at all, you hear the, the, word, the term the pit fairly mm-hmm. regularly. Um, and it's when we get to the bottom of our rope, at the bottom of our pit that God can do the most amazing things because then we can't do it ourselves anymore, for sure. So so what's your favorite part of being a pastor? What a great question. Um, I think my favorite part is, is, is standing in those holy spaces where you see God moving. Um, and all Christians, uh, people of faith, can see that that happen, but being a pastor uh, carries with it responsibilities and a and a few privileges, and uh, to stand in the hospital room, or to stand, or sit, mostly sit at the table at the funeral home when the service is being planned, um, to baptize a baby in a 117-year-old baptismal gown that has been used in fourth generations. Uh, And even really, um, you know, when you're standing up preaching and you see people's faces, their countenance change, and you know that the Spirit is moving in them. Those holy spaces, I think, my favorite part. It makes it all worth some of the other stuff. I'm Dana Hornby, and you're listening to The Calling. After a short break, more conversation with Laurie Ralston. I'm Dana Hornby, and this is The Calling. And we are here today with Reverend Laurie Ralston. And Laurie would like to share a motivational moment. Uh, I want to spend a few minutes talking about, Dana asked me to do a, a, have a devotion ready. And uh, I am someone who loves the Psalms, and I love them because um, they're so authentic and they're honest. And I think that that being honest with God is good for our soul. So I want to share just a few uh, thoughts from Psalm 51, my favorite psalm. This psalm is attributed to the occasion uh, when the prophet Nathan came to King David after uh, his adulterous experience with Bathsheba. And I'll read just some selected verses from that and then share some thoughts. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you alone I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. 
Behold, I was brought forth in my iniquity and my and in sin my mother create uh, conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which with you let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. And then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. For you are not pleased with burnt offerings, but the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will never despise. I love this psalm because um, it is so honest, and it's a plea to God. And it talks about being contrite which is not really a word that we use in that we use in uh, modern terminology in, in our lives. It's certainly not very American to be contrite. Um, after visiting Europe this year, I can tell you that there is a difference in attitude between we Americans and others. Um, and I think that contriteness is the exact opposite of pride and that pride has permeated our culture, and it has permeated the church. And it's easy for us as, as Christians in 2019 to, to skip over how pride has affected us and infected us. You know, contriteness means that you have submitted yourself, that you've humbled yourself to God, and that you've given your life and your heart to them. Pride is really a sin in us, but if you think about really what sin, what pride is, it's placing ourselves, our will, above God's will. And so, this psalm particularly uh, is an occasion when David is humbling himself before God. Uh, this psalm is always the text for Ash Wednesday, and I kind of love Lent anyway. But um, it's in that posture of our heart where we are able to recognize our humanness, recognize our brokenness, and still call on God for his love and grace. Uh, the imagery of cleanliness in this psalm is beautiful. He talks about blotting and um, cleansing and washing, and purifying. And just that change from darkness to light, to me, is so beautiful. Um, one of the, uh, the effects of confession and repentance, I think that this psalm gives us, um, is that, first of all, in verse 10, it says, renew a steadfast spirit within me after our hearts are complete, clean. And I think that that indicates that 
through the confession that we can have our hearts set right with God. My mother used to say, better get your heart right, when I would do something that did not please her. (laughs) Secondly, I think this song tells us that uh, we can be restored in relationship and we can experience joy from that and have healthy relationships, which is something that we all should strive to do with God and with others. And thirdly, um, one of the most beautiful effects of confession and repentance, the psalmist lists in verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. You know, that's an empowerment of testimony. This is what God did for me. This is who I was, and this is what God did for me. And then you turn in the Christian faith, and you share that with someone else. So that is my psalm devotional for us for today. Thank you, Lori. That is beautiful. After a short break, we'll be back with the top five. You're listening to The Calling. I'm Dana Hornby, and you're listening to The Calling. We're back with Lori Ralston, who is the pastor at Normandy United Methodist Church. And Lori, this is my favorite part of the podcast. It is our top five questions. You never know what question will be asked, but you do have the opportunity to pass or plead the fifth on one. Just one. Just one. Yeah, sorry, and there is no phone a friend. But um, (laughs) we'll see if you want to pass on one. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. If you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? Oh, that's a good one. A billboard. Dream big, girl. Dream big. How about um, my favorite phrase that I use frequently Come Holy Spirit. Oh, there you go. That's such a good preacher answer. That is a preacher Very answer. Very good. <laughs> Be sure you send this to the district superintendent. <laughs> okay, next question. If you could turn back time, you've got a time machine, mm-hmm. and you can go back to talk to young Lori Midget at the age of 18. Oh, wow. What would you say? Go have fun. Yeah. Go have fun. Good answer. Okay, what is your best tip for making the world a better place? Look people in the eye and call them by name, especially if they work in a job where they wear their name tag. Frontline people are often, and we see it even more now, (laughs) so I walked into New McDonald's twice this last week. There aren't frontline people. You walk up to a screen. And I think we have dehumanized each other because we have failed to make that first important connection. Very good. Okay, Laurie, um, if you could have dinner with any three people, dead or alive, who would it be? You're throwing a dinner party and, and anybody can come. Who would you invite? Well, I would always invite my grandmother first. Aww. What was your grandmama's name? Uh, she would very promptly tell you to call her grandmother Robinson. Grandmother Grandmother, Robinson. Grandmother Robinson. Yes. Her name was Elizabeth. People called her Lib, but we called her Grandmother Robinson. And the one time I didn't, she was very prompt to correct me otherwise. Okay. Uh, So So Grandmother Robinson was at the uh, seat of honor. She would, yes, absolutely. Um, I would probably say Eleanor Roosevelt. Oh, yeah. and, uh, And Martin Luther King, Jr., 
Wonderful. Wow, what a dinner party. It would be quite be great. Yes, and grandmother would be right in the middle of all that. Okay, I always she uh, she was born in 1900, so she lived through both of those two. She would was a beneficiary of the women's suffrage movement. Yes, I would volunteer to be kitchen staff for oh, that yeah. dinner party. You can come. Yes, thank I'll you. I'll let you come. All right. Oh, I should have. You have to put a fork plate because you shouldn't have a dinner party with just three people. <laughs> okay, and last question. If you uh, were arrested for a crime, what would your family say that crime was? I don't know that I'd ever get really arrested for it, but, um, you know, I'm I'm prone to be a little heavy-footed. <laughs> they would not be surprised <laughs> if I got arrested for uh, mm. speed racing. Mama got a reckless driving charge. Yes, they probably yes. would not be afraid. Not be surprised about that at all. That's that's not a major crime, but it could be hazardous to someone's health, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> you have been listening to The Calling. Thank you, Reverend Lori Ralston, for sharing your story of your calling today. Thank you for having me.